Hello, and welcome to What's on Tap, Lancaster, the show that pours out the latest need-to-know trends, insights, and strategies for young professionals in the business community. I'm your host, Ashley Glenser. And I'm your other host, Molly Krauser. We hope that today's episode equips and inspires you to join us in cultivating a thriving community. Let's dive in. Today, we are joined by Tom Baldridge, President and CEO of the Lancaster Chamber. Tom received his Certified Chamber Executive designation in 2008 from the American Chamber of Commerce Executives. Under his leadership, the Lancaster Chamber was awarded Chamber of the Year in 2003 and 2013 and was a national finalist in 2021. Prior to his role at the Chamber, his career involved city revitalization efforts with the Lancaster Alliance, government and public affairs with the Lancaster Chamber, communications for the Senate, and services to PA Governor Dick Thornburg. This is a bittersweet episode. We are celebrating Tom's 22 years of service with the Lancaster Chamber and reflecting on his career as he retires this month. Molly, I mean, this is hard for me. I can't imagine for you. You've been working with Tom for almost a decade. And not only with your work in the Chamber, but I think we would be remiss if we failed to include the ways in which you, Tom, serve the community. So Tom currently serves on the boards of several organizations, Lancaster General Health, the Economic Development Company of Lancaster, the Workforce Development Board, the City Reinvestment and Improvement Zone Authority, Lancaster History, the High Foundation, and Thaddeus Stevens College of Technology. He does it all and keeps a really strict schedule, so it makes sense. But we're thankful for his commitment to the community, too. So, Tom, we're grateful to have you with us today. Thanks for recording with us, and thank you for your leadership in so many facets of the Lancaster community. So we're going to be really casual and open this conversation, and we would love to hear how does it feel to be approaching retirement? This episode will air retirement month. How does it feel? It feels pretty good, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but there is no doubt that it is bittersweet as well. I mean, I've had a remarkable opportunity to lead the business community now for 22 years. It is a business community that I have been honored to serve. It is a business community that inspires me every day. It has been a journey that's surrounded with tremendous people from the board to the staff. And kind of walking away from all that is challenging in a lot of ways. At the same time, 22 years is a long time. Uh, (laughs) It's time for somebody else to come in and put their stamp on things. And I feel really comfortable to kind of step aside at this time and see what's next for my life. But I want to know how you feel leaving. <laughs> um, no, as you reflect on your career, what are one or two pivotal moments that you identify that have served to kind of propel your career forward? So this is an interesting question because the last phase of my career has been the last 22 years. So before that were the kind of the stepping stones that got me to be the chamber president. So as I look back on my career, one of my heroes in my journey was the governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Dick Thornburg. And I had the distinct honor of working for him when I was a young buck in my late 20s, and I did his scheduling, which meant I accepted and regretted invitations, prepared background briefs, and traveled with him wherever he went, which was an amazing experience for me with a man that I adored. And previous to that, worked in the state Senate of Pennsylvania, as Molly mentioned. And when I was in the state Senate, I found, frankly, that the politicians were dismissive of this young 25-year-old at that time, 26-year-old kid. They were demanding It was a culture of kind of, in some ways, entitlement. I don't say that as an indictment to any of our current state senators or state house members. I simply say that was my experience when I was there. And when I went to Governor Thornburg's office, I saw this man who was the governor of the state 
treating me and everybody around him with amazing respect, seeking input, valuing opinions. And I was like, what the heck? Here are these people that was my first job out of college, and I didn't really know any better. I thought maybe that's the workplace. And then I go to this guy who's the governor and effectively, you know, vastly more influential and powerful than the individual state senators I was working with. And it really struck me that you don't have to be this way. You can be kind and generous and thoughtful. And I've never lost sight of that part of his lesson to me. Then fast forward a little bit. There's just two moments that I'm going to share. And I think they're somewhat similar. In 1993, I, along with 12 senior executives from downtown Lancaster, started what is now the Lancaster City Alliance. We called it at that time was called the Lancaster Alliance. And it was me as the sole employee and the 12 CEOs of the largest companies in the city of Lancaster, from Armstrong to Lancaster Newspapers, Fulton Bank, et cetera. And at that time, I was, I want to say, 31 or two. And all these guys, 12 white guys, by the way, hiring another white guy, just making that point. Fortunately, that has changed now. If you would have the same executives, it would be a different mix. But anyway, one of the gentlemen that was on the group was John Shirk from Barley Snyder, what is now Barley Snyder. And he was a true mentor for me as well. And he said to me, listen, I know you're a young guy. I know we're all CEOs. But if you do not treat us like peers, I will call you out on it. And he said, you need to force yourself to treat us like peers, or you will continue to just be subservient and think that you just are here to serve us. We hired you to lead us, and I'm not going to let you serve us. First of all, it was a stunning gift. And secondly, it, was, it really resonated with me like, yeah, okay, I get that. They put on their pants one leg at a time or whatever, and it truly was they were putting on pants because they were 12 white men. But anyway, <laughs> so that really just stuck with me. And that's kind of maybe, you know, for the recognition, this is kind of Young Professionals podcast segment here. To the young professionals out there, I would just encourage you not to be intimidated and to treat your leaders as peer respectfully, obviously, and respect the wisdom and age that they may be able to impart with you. But treat them as your peers. Do not be subservient to anybody. So those were two. Yeah. Long-winded, but they were too. (laughs) No, that's incredible. (laughs) I know I even have to balance sometimes of my admiration for someone who has accomplished so much with also treating someone as a peer in the work, in the business community. I wish sometimes I could be more intimidating. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, damn it, they're treating me like a peer. I'm supposed to enjoy this. But it's like, don't you know who I am? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So take his advice, but maybe don't always take his advice. (laughs) So when you were a young buck, as you called it, and you were starting out your career, what were your aspirations? And then how have you seen your aspirations shift over the course of your career? So I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And in high school, I was often called the mayor. And the thought was that I would be the mayor of Allentown. I kind of leaned into that thought that that's what I was ultimately going to be. And even when I went to Harrisburg for my first job, there was still this idea of I'll come back to Allentown someday, run for mayor, and that will be what I will do. And that obviously didn't turn out that way at all, and I couldn't be happier about it. But I think the point in some ways was that I never had a really strict career path. I took advantage of doors when they opened and had good fortune to continue my career that way. That's what worked for me. Others have a goal and it's strategic about what they take to get to that goal. When I graduated from college, I went to Ithaca College. When I graduated from college, I was a speech communications major and I was certified to teach English. I taught English at the Ithaca High School for one year. I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it and I knew I'd need to do something else. And that's when I ended up in the state Senate 
only because a neighbor in Allentown, and this is the reality of to you know, blah, 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 knew I could write. And he was running the communications office in the state Senate, needed a speechwriter and a press release writer. And he asked me if I was interested and I got the job. That took me to Harrisburg, which where ultimately I met my wife in that office, which was obviously life-changing in so many ways, but then also started to develop contacts politically Ended up in Lancaster at the chamber as government affairs director in 1988 and absolutely 100% fell in love with Lancaster in a way that was clear that I was never going back downtown. And then that just led to other things that have kept me here since 1988 and been fortunate to raise a family and now watch my children raise our grandkids here as well. That brings to mind a conversation that we had in the fall, Tom, where you asked, you know, what is your vision for your career? And I, you know, was telling you my little line. And you said, just make sure that you never look so straight ahead that you don't see the opportunities coming at you from other directions. And so have held on to that. I don't think I said it quite as nicely. <laughs> that sounds really that sounds good, really. Ashley. I'm glad that's what you heard. Why did you admit that? You I'm glad that's what it. you heard. But I think it's important, you know, as young professionals, I think we can be very ambitious and we have these goals for our lives. But, you know, always keep an eye open for those opportunities that may be coming at us from different directions. And so I value that. So I want to say thank you. You know, and I appreciate you saying that and remembering that better than I told it. But I do think that that I just want to underscore it. I think it's critical. I don't think that anybody should be so super focused that they, particularly coming out of high school or college, they know what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. In some ways, God bless them if they have that much passion and they think that's what it is. But the likelihoods of the ebbs and flows of people's interest as well as the ebbs and flows of opportunities that are out there that you would have never thought of in a million years is worth always keeping an open mind for. And for what it's worth, I doubt I knew what a chamber of commerce was until I applied for the position in 1988. I think, too, it's a little bit of like checking things off. So you say you're like English teacher, check that off the list of things that I wanted to do. Correct. <laughs> that was for my, at least for mine, too, was like, I'm just going to check that off because that's not something that I have interest in continuing to pursue. And I'm sure that sounds like what that what it ended up being for you as well. So next question that we have was a little bit more focused around chamber. So you obviously served the chamber for 22 years, two decades. So what would you consider as three of the most meaningful lessons that you've learned about leadership or instances where leadership was magnified? I don't know if I can speak to the instances, at least off the top of my head. I can speak more maybe to some lessons or some philosophies. I think it's critical that the leader does everything in his or her power to connect in our case, the staff, the volunteers, and the membership, and in some ways, the broader community, to our vision. So our vision now, it's evolved over my 22 years here, but our vision now is a thriving community for all. And I don't think that we can say that enough, and I don't think we can live into that enough. And I think we want to make sure that particularly our staff, but also ideally our volunteers, know that when they're working on something for the chamber, it is in some way, shape, or form connected to building a thriving community for all. And that takes constant communication that takes a kind of a discipline around making sure that what we're doing has a direct line to creating a thriving community for all. So I think that's the leader's job is to make sure that the vision is embraced and that people feel connected to it. That would be one. Two is pretty simple, and that's just listen. Just listen. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> the leader that fails to listen will be a leader that fails ultimately. So listen. And then I actually think I have a three and a four now that I'm thinking about it. So forgive for me. It. I don't know. All right. So third is be empathetic. And I think I've grown in that over the 22 years. I think that I am always amazed about 
people's stories and when you hear their story, it's like, oh, I had no idea or some, I mean, to the good and to the bad, but you know, their family life, their just everything that's going on in people's worlds, you just never know. And you need to, I think, approach things with a certain amount of empathy so that you don't just demoralize somebody that might need some empathy at a moment. And then the final thing that I say to my kids all the time, and it drives them up a wall, uh, (laughs) and that's rise above it. You know, if somebody does something stupid or rude or mean or whatever, I am very comfortable ignoring that and in so doing, feeling, frankly, that I'm better than that, as opposed to getting down to it and feeling you got to go head to head. And I think that as a leader, particularly one that people are looking to as a role model and things like that, to demonstrate your ability to rise above it is something that's really important and I think lends a lot to the culture that you can create. That's great. So I'm thinking a little bit about young professionals engaging in the community and why, in your perspective, is it important for young professionals to engage in community leadership outside of their professional responsibilities? I believe that the future of Lancaster County is in the hands of the broader business community. I do not think that we can rely on governments. I do not think we can rely on all the good work that's going on on a daily basis. I think we need to be really intentional about the business community's role in addressing the concerns of our community and, more importantly, creating the opportunities for success for everybody. In that way, I think that it is critical that people that are in business and young professionals, specifically in this instance, find ways to get involved beyond their own company so that they can learn more about the community. They'll learn about leadership. They will be benefited from the boards on which they serve likely more than the organizations that they're serving by the connections that they make and the things that they learn and the opportunities that are afforded to them. So it's clearly a win-win, but the upside of the one win is that it's for the betterment of the community. And I believe there's nobody else other than the way business can drive our future that will effectively address that. I'll just play a little bit harder on that. When you look at the issues of the day, like the environment and diversity, equity, inclusion, business has to be a leader in those initiatives. And business is nothing but its people. So By being a leader in it, it means that the people have to be engaged in what the solutions are. And I think that's critical for anybody, particularly young professionals wanting to develop a broader network and grow professionally to get involved. You keep mentioning this betterment of community, which obviously is what we do as an organization, what you've lived out in not only, you know, work with Chamber, but also within the community and the leadership that you've provided. And as evidenced by your promotion and concept for me of this like think local idea. So I know it was like a concept to a program and just this idea that we're investing and we're being a part of and ingrained in our community. So you're obviously deeply invested in Lancaster community. What does Lancaster mean to you? Just about everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I will say one thing I've come to accept is that every community loves to say they're unique. And I now believe that every community is unique. So Everybody can say that because the culture and the infrastructure of a community is is always unique. Lancaster's culture and infrastructure just feels right to me. I love the way people get involved. I love the heritage. I love the, uh, frankly, pockets of progressive activity toward the future. I love the people. I'm inspired by the businesses. It's been a tremendous place. I know it's an overused cliche, but it was a tremendous place to raise my children Last Friday night, not to date this, but last Friday night, I was at Southern Market Center for drinks. Of course, I had iced tea, I think, but mm. <laughs> it looked like iced tea. It looked, it looked like iced tea. Anyway, and it was packed, and I was just like, I just freaking love this place. I mean, it's just a really, really great place. I love that. I do, too. Well, I good. Agree with you. 
<laughs> we want everybody to love it. And I think we can. I mean, that's why we believe in our vision. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Hey, Tom here, taking a break from our conversation for a glass of Rural City Beer Company's Wake Up Call Stout, a light-bodied stout brewed with roasted malts and low-hop bittering. You can distinctly taste the notes of vanilla and locally roasted coffee from Cocalico Coffee Crafters in Denver, added to the finished brew. This is the exact beer to give you that wake-up call. You can visit Rural City Beer Company in Reamstown and try Wake Up Call Stout yourself. Check out Rural City Beer Company's website or Facebook page and follow on Instagram at Royal City Beer to learn more. Let's dive back in. So, you know, with everything that you're doing in the community, obviously as an executive, you're engaged and you have a lot of responsibilities at the chamber, you know, at least until you retire. But how have you navigated so many competing priorities over the years? And what advice do you have for young professionals who may be struggling to prioritize or juggle all of their responsibilities at work or home in the community? That's a tough one in terms of everybody's situation is different. So in my case, I had a wife and three kids and then the job and the extracurriculars that we were all juggling. And if my wife and I weren't partners in this journey, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Particularly when I was starting out, I wouldn't have been able to go to the dinners that I thought it was critical that I be at to kind of be a presence and to continue to network and continue to represent the chamber or the Langster Alliance before that. If not for Susan, I wouldn't have been able to do all those things, you know, but you can't lose sight of what's really important. And, you know, I can clearly say after 22 years at the chamber and more of that past my career, what is important, what is the constant in my life is my family. And that is the priority and that you got to figure out a way to get around it. I've been fortunate that I feel like I have a lot of energy. So I have been able to, I think, balance a lot. I'm not necessarily as good at focus. I have more energy than I do focus. <laughs> but if you're not in it as a journey with your partner, you're in trouble. But at the same time, even for people that are single or couples that don't have kids, you still got to be really careful about burning yourself out and just getting too involved. You, know, you got to listen to yourself. And I think a lot of people lost sight of that over the past probably five, six years. And we're watching the mental health crisis as a result of that in part, the COVID, not the least of which. This reminds me of something that Selena Coachman said from Armstrong World Industries at our We Rise luncheon in March. Who's on your board? Who are the community members that you've chosen to be a partner? So if, if you don't have a significant other in a relationship, you know, who are your people supporting your professional journey? And I really love that. Getting through life, getting through your career, it's a team sport. Yep. People are involved. It's a great way to put it. So as we think about what you had just explained about kind of balance and priorities and how you do that. What encouragement would you offer to young professionals as they seek to advance their careers or advance their involvement and kind of get into those spaces that you have traditionally also been in? The best thing you can do is find mentors that you respect and engage in conversations with them about the issues that are important. Don't waste their time, but use them for the betterment of your career and your personal life. You know, just a funny story that I recall, this was probably, honestly, 20 years ago. There was a person in Lancaster, who shall go nameless, that told somebody that they were my mentor. And this person told me, oh, so-and-so says they're your mentor. And I was struck by that because they aren't, weren't my mentor. And then I realized, I determine who my mentor is. They don't determine who my mentor is. You know, so own that, own the point that, 
you need to seek your mentors and you need to engage with them. And I can promise you that people will be flattered. And if you reach out to somebody that you just want to learn more about, and you know, I've been on the uh, receiving end of some of those invitations and they're wonderful. So that's what I would encourage people to do is just step it up and ask somebody to coffee or lunch or whatever, and just pick their brains. No fear in that either. I feel like there's a sometimes a fear or a scarcity in Treat time. Treat them as your peer. Yeah. I believe that was my earlier yeah, comment. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was. There's a fear in that. Just trying to keep the thread going. Keep the narrative here. <laughs> as breaking down some of the fear of treating them like a peer and picking their brain and being able to pull out the things that you're looking for, but engaging in a way that feels like it's going to be helpful for both parties also. And just as we're talking right now about mentoring, we talk at the Chamber a lot about the business community investing in the next generation of leadership. So how have you invested in those that you lead at the chamber? I honestly don't think I've been the mentor that I could have been. I don't feel like I've been nearly as intentional about mentoring. I like to hope I set an example, but I'm not convinced that I intentionally mentor. I mean, it's a regret in some ways, but it's also, I just never took the time to prioritize that as like, a, that's what I'm going to do. I take unbelievable delight and pleasure when I see people on the chamber staff develop and grow and even leave the organization. I don't think anybody has ever made me angry when they've left. I'm thinking, I'm pausing there for a moment. <laughs> there could have been a few. No, I, I honestly, I think that I've respected everybody's decision and wish them nothing but the best because it was their journey to grow. And so I'd like to think at least that I model that, that it's okay to leave. It's okay to try to find ways to grow if it's not going to be at the chamber. We have a staff of 16. There's limited kind of upward mobility and I respect that. So if someone wants to start another path, I will celebrate that with them every step of the way. So why is it important for leaders to not just mentor others in the business community, but those within their own organization, or at least give the resources to their team to develop those employees? Yeah, I think it's critical because you want to have a culture of learning so that employees feel like there's additional opportunities for them, be it with that organization or not, but just for their future. And I think that's really important. I would never want anybody feeling like they were caught in a dead-end job at the chamber. I would want to work with them to get them out of the chamber, to get them to some job that's going to make them more fulfilled. What do you see as the most critical skills for young professionals to develop to advance their careers? Above and beyond anything else, I think it's communication, written communication, oral communication, nonverbal communication, just the way they present and kind of the way that enables their brand. So I think communication is number one. If you can communicate effectively, inclusive of working in a team, almost any company would like to have you as long as they believe that they could train you for the specifics of the job that they were trying to hire you for. But communication is certainly a difficult thing to necessarily train somebody for. They either have it or they don't, or they need to find a way to get there. The other, I think, essential skill, and maybe this is you know one of the reasons that it's time for Tom to go, is technology. I think that technology is only going to become more present in our personal and professional lives. And I think that anybody that doesn't kind of keep up with it, keep pace with the changes in it and the ability to use it as a tool of communication and efficiency will be less valuable to their employer. So I think that the two are communication and technology. Yeah, that's great. I don't know what you're talking about. About what? You have great but digital you, yeah, skills. Your digital skills. That's a great way to put it too, digital skills. Digital skills. <laughs> you excel in those areas. I have zero technology skills. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Not in the slightest. 
You will yeah. not ask me a question that I cannot answer yeah. because I'm not 100% yeah. sure. This no, is the this problem is when you have your employees <laughs> doing, the, doing the podcast. They say, oh, you're just great, Tom. There's nothing, no, wrong. You're not. nothing wrong here. He's the best on the computer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So one of our questions I think that you are uniquely positioned to provide some leadership on is over the last two decades, the chamber has walked alongside the Lancaster community and then, you know, maybe more detailed with the business community through periods of growth and certainly periods of adversity. And as we emerge from once in a lifetime, once in a hundred year pandemic, hopefully knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, at least at the time of this, we're kind of walking out of the pandemic as we're recording this. We're hopeful and we're also facing a tight labor market supply chain challenges, international instability. What advice do you have regarding leading organizations through adversity for the next generation of leaders in Lancaster? So it's not all that different from the kind of the traits of a leader. I think communication is particularly critical at a time of adversity. And that was really put to the challenge, I think, during COVID because you needed to be extremely communicative, yet everybody, for the most part, was at home. So it would just lend it a whole different attitude. I recall, as I'm sure you do as well, Molly, mm -hmm. but in the early days of COVID, when we were dispersed to our homes, we met every day, every day. at 11 o'clock. Yep. And there was a lot of anxiety going on then because there was so much unknown. And we were really trying to figure out what our path was going to be in this whole process. But we also closed every meeting or opened every meeting with like, what are you watching or what's your favorite color or just some question around the room that got us getting to know each other better, getting to keep kind of that friendship alive. But there's nothing more important than communication. And I think that as part of that communication in a time of adversity, you need to be honest. You need to accept the fact that you're employees can handle the truth and can be an effective part of dealing with the truth and giving you answers that you may not have. Again, the chamber staff during COVID was unbelievable. And as one that had fought working from home, like, no, 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 we can't possibly do it. People <laughs> might goof off or whatever. It really transformed my thinking about legitimately empowering and trusting employees and watching what they can do when they have that level of flexibility, yet a certain level of accountability, and they delivered time and time and time again. So communication is key. And then kind of setting a vision of honesty and creating a team environment where everybody has a say in what the path's going to be and how we're going to get out of this situation. I think, too, one thing that I, as a new employee, newer employee at the chamber, certainly the agility that the chamber has demonstrated. And I think we come back to a lot, the growth mindset. But being in a program management space we can try new things, we can pivot, and that is encouraged and fostered under your leadership. And so I think that one thing that attracted me to the chamber was that agility and the ability to, and the encouragement of thinking outside the box, being flexible and meeting needs as they pop up and not be a static organization. And I also think it was demonstrated pre-pandemic too, in a way that maybe not, you know, general public knows, but I think, too, that you say it as one of the things that you're providing, but I'm, I'm on the receiving end of some of your transparency and of some of your honesty that has been an incredible shift in how I think about communication with vendors and venues and other team members and in collaboration in, in ways that it's been really impactful, that key piece of being honest and transparent of this is where we're at, this is what's going on, and there's power in that, and you saw power in that, and then we felt power by that. So pandemic, prior to pandemic, all of that time, that has been such a part of piece of wisdom that you've provided me. So it's nice to hear. Thank you. 
Well, as we close today, we just have a few questions that if you are listening in for the first time, you'll hear these questions quite a bit throughout the podcast. We try to ask every interviewee what they think about young professionals specifically and the future of Lancaster. So, Tom, how do you see young professionals as a catalyst for positive impact in Lancaster? So they are the catalyst for positive impact. I mean, that's what we need them to be. I think First of all, I should probably say at the age of 62, I still kind of think of myself as a young professional. Young at heart, yes. By yeah. heart, yeah. that's my... <laughs> but, you know, this notion about what age are you when you look in the mirror, and I still kind of feel like I'm a young professional. Although, when I go to those events, I feel like a bit of a creeper, but that's no, beside the... Never, no, never, never. Get out. A little bit. We but love anyway. having you. But anyway, anyway I, I mean, it's so cliche, but they are our future, and my hope is that they are able to find their way here in Lancaster without moving that they're able to engage in the community around their passions to make it better, and that we'll be confident in the next generation to kind of keep propelling Lancaster County forward. I have no doubt that that will be the case, but it isn't coming upon them getting involved. And the next question, I think I want to set a little bit of a stage just to say that I'm going to ask you this because I think it's not only as we look ahead, but to your retirement, but also this kind of legacy that you're leaving behind. And I don't, uh, (laughs) word feels weird to use, also not fully comfortable with the retirement yet. I think that's part of the problem. Um, is that, so as you look ahead and or maybe hope as part of your legacy, what do you envision for a thriving Lancaster County? What does that look like for you? Well, as you say, a thriving community for all is the Chamber's vision for this community. And what that means is that we have a community that essentially works for everybody. So what I envision for the future and would like to hope that I've had some sense of setting the table for some of that is fair and equitable wages, is certainly diversity, equity, and inclusion is celebrated. And as I've said recently a couple of times, we have some work to do there. I mean, we take great pride in the fact that we are recognized at times as the world capital for immigrants and refugees. And that's a wonderful thing that we celebrate and that has been a tremendous asset to our ability to thrive as a community. We also, more recently, are getting attention for some hate groups that are in our community. And that is a problem because if that begins to define our future, we will lose many people and that thriving will be threatened. So I really just feel it's important that we really lean into these issues where we're accepting of everybody. We're trying to have everybody reach their maximum potential. And the only way that's going to happen is if we have a successful economy with businesses, a part of this kind of journey. That's a mic drop moment, (laughs) but a very powerful moment and a very powerful vision that you obviously have set and you have set the table for, to be clear. Great way to close us out. So I appreciate ending on that note. And thank you so much for being here today. I feel like I'm saying goodbye weirdly in this podcast, but I, (laughs) because I know when this is releasing, but I'm so grateful that I still have time with you because your vision for Lancaster, your passion and your leadership, it's one of the components of the chamber that attracted me to the role. And so I'm I'm grateful that even in the short amount of time, I've been able to learn from you. And so I appreciate you being on here. I feel like we could talk with you forever and just glean wisdom from you and give it out to the young professional community. But I did want to ask, you know, as we close, what is ahead for you as you enter a new chapter of your life? I'm actually pleased and proud at this moment to say, I don't know. I'm committed, 100% committed all in on three months of not doing anything and using that time to step back and kind of assess the landscape to make sure that what I'm doing next is something that will sustain me and fulfill me and frankly, probably not have me work as hard as I am or have been. So I don't know. I have some thoughts percolating, but I'm 
committed to not making any decisions for the next three months. I will service on some of the boards in the community because I wouldn't know what I would do without some way to continue to stay fully engaged in the community because I don't want to give that up. I, I don't want to give necessarily up this job, but it is time and I'm happy to pass the baton and I'm happy to take some time for myself to figure out what I want to do. Hopefully we still see you around at those Young Professional mm-hmm. Network events. Ooh, I thought that <laughs> Always was, invited. I, I think it was creeper enough when I was with the organization. <laughs> if I'm in a parked car outside the event, that will be. call that the cops. Is. Call the cops, That's people. That's where it will. Right? But we do hope to, to still see you around and grab coffee with you from time to time. Absolutely. And I have no doubt that will happen. So I want to say thank you. And here I am. I'm going to do it again. We're running okay. out, of, we're out of time, It's Molly. okay. We are out of time, Molly. I just want to say thank you. Oh, my gosh. I'm really shy. It's still several months with you. Like, I'm going to be tomorrow and just be annoyed with you or something. Probably about. right. Chances I know. are good. Right. <laughs> but we're grateful for your leadership at the chamber, as staff people at the chamber, and also for your service to our community. It's just incredible. Your contagious passion for the th- work that we do, but for the work that you know, the community has done, and you've obviously been a huge part of that. So thank you so much for your wisdom, innovative leadership, your care. I just want to point that out, too, is that you've cared for us in a way that's pretty incredible for a leader. <laughs> now, I'm trying now, so hard to Now, Molly, the shut together. the hell up and let's close this thing. Oh, my gosh. Why you don't talk to us anymore? No. And the way you're all insp- – you've inspired us, obviously. You've inspired this community. So we thank you for that. It's been an honor to have you here with us today, but also And it has been an honor to be your guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Friends, thank you for joining us on this podcast journey. You can find out more about upcoming Young Professionals Network programs by following us on Instagram at YPN underscore blank chamber. Subscribe to What's on Tap Lancaster on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your preferred podcast listening platform to stay up to date on our episode releases. Like what you hear? Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We are grateful to Millersville University's Titus Irvin and Blake Harvey for scoring the show. What's on Tap Lancaster is hosted by the Lancaster Chamber's Young Professionals Network. Written by me, Ashley Glenzer, produced and edited by Chris Zarnock, owner of KMZN Creative, and recorded by Triforce Pro Audio Solutions. Stay inspired, Lancaster.